What's up, YouTube? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Channel, B1. Today, you are on the 15th episode of the Biker Bar, and uh, as you may or may not know, the Biker Bar is on every Sunday, 5 p.m. PST, and uh, I'm going to go through my, my my little spiel here at the beginning to just give you guys a few minutes to jump in, but one of the things that I wanted to say is that you can support the channel by either going to shop.biker.com and picking up some uh, t-shirts or hats or something like that. Or you could also go to Patreon at uh, patreon.biker.com and you can sign up for a monthly subscription that basically is uh, just helping out the channel. So there's a there's a one that's only a dollar a month. And if you sign up for that, there's a bunch of coupons and discounts in there for other for vendors that I work with. So some of them are 20, 25% off. So usually you can make the money back that uh, it costs to be part of part of the crew. So either way, today we have uh, Joe from Otis, and Otis has a new way of doing doing some music, doing some tunes on, on the trail. So I'll let Joe introduce himself and maybe just uh, what what his what how he sees what his company is doing, and we'll go from there. What's up, Joe? Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Joe from Otis, like Robert said, and uh, what I've done is I invented a way to listen to music um, without having earbuds in your ears. Um, it allows you to hear all the surrounding sounds around you, the forest, the nature, your friends, oncoming cars, cars approaching from the rear. If you're on a bicycle, it even works if you're jogging, you can hear, you don't have to wear earbuds. So it's basically uh, a little brief description of what I've done. Yeah, yeah. So what, you, for, man, there's so many places I can I can start with this. And let's let's probably go back to, you said you invented this. I mean, you don't look like a mad scientist to me. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not no. that I know what a mad scientist looks like, but I don't see any beakers or anything like that sitting around. So, no. how did you come up with the idea? Well, I was uh, actually riding um, out here in Southern California with a bunch of friends, and I just uh, noticed that everybody was riding around with one earbud while we rode as a group in a mass together. But then as we started to ride, guys were having to stop and, and, and put their earbuds in. And this is back in the days of MP3 players. So you actually had to mess with your backpack. Everything was you know, strapped down in the backpack in the top pocket. And then as you rode through the bushes, they would clip the earbud hanging out of your ear and rip it right out, rip the earbud off the end sometimes. Um, so that's basically one day I was riding and I had already started back in the late 80s riding street bikes. Um, I was ripping apart headphones from Sony back in the day with your Sony Walkman. And I would cut those things up and then I would cut out ear holes in the ear reliefs in my full face motorcycle helmets. And then I would just plug in a uh, cassette deck and I'd make my own tapes. And I would just ride every day like that on a street All bike. Right on. So yeah, I, know. I used to ride street bike too. And uh, the, I, I would use like the, uh, there was only certain headbutt or like headphones that you could actually fit like earbuds that you could fit inside your ears and your helmet. I used to get those uh, skull candy ones because they were super flat. And I could just like, if I got my helmet on just right, they wouldn't pop out. But like right. if you did something wrong, they pop out and you have to like take your helmet off and try all over again. So that's yeah, a really yeah. good idea. I think there's actually companies that have products like that now where yeah, you they do. remove they, the whole thing. They call them coin speakers or dollar speakers. They'll call them because they're about the size of a silver dollar. Yeah, I did that a long time ago, but <laughs> this was long before skull candy. Uh, right, right. <laughs> this is Sony days. Uh, but then after that, uh, so when I was riding, I actually stopped riding motorcycles um, just because everybody kept pressuring me. You know, it'd been so long. It's the only thing I cared about was riding dirt bikes and street bikes. So, you know, that's, I did a lot of it. 
Um, that's how I commuted to work every day. I was on one all the time. So um, right. when I discovered mountain biking, that got me off the street bike and it took me to a whole nother level of excitement and it took me into other directions. And then, we, uh, like I said, on that ride, we were riding and I thought to myself, you know, I know a product that just might work if I sit here and glue them into my helmet. So when I first did that, I actually still have the first prototype helmet I did. And when I first did that, uh, all my friends wanted one, they freaked out. Well, I had used marine silicone glue to put the, the little speaker in there. And uh, the problem with that was is uh, when you threw it in your truck, it would pop it off and break it off. So, uh, you know, I needed to come up with a better idea. And I talked to a guy, a friend of mine, uh, just an acquaintance over at Lizard Skins, Brian Fruit. And he's the one that said, Joe, how are you going to sell people a helmet with a set of speakers in it already? They crash it and they got to buy another helmet. And at that point, the price point on them back then would have been about $350. That was my biggest stress, was trying to figure out what to do about the speakers being permanent. Well, I came up uh, back in those days, they had helmet cams that were affixed to your helmet and you had to ride with a backpack and everything was in the backpack. Well, they used a product by 3M. I got a hold of those guys, got two pieces for $14. That stuff's expensive. And uh, I started manufacturing them in my garage that way for my friends. And Took so, off so initially, were you were you still uh, at that point just um, taking apart other other people's headphones and kind of like modifying them, or or were you building your own product by that point? I wasn't building my own yet. I was modifying other people's products. Um, what had happened? It, it hap the first steps happened really fast because I was riding with a bunch of guys and. Some of them had a little bit of money that they wanted to invest in it and they kept pressuring me to do it. And I kept, you know, it's just one of those things when people tell you it's an amazing thing. And it, it's, they say so many things about me. Like you said, I don't look like a mad scientist. I don't look like a genius either because I'm not. <laughs> I'm severely dyslexic and I have a hard time every day with it. But just something happened and they kept pushing me to do it. So I did it. And a friend of mine uh, fronted me a small loan, which allowed me to get the patents and the, uh, What's that process like getting patents? Patents was a scary thing. The hard part about patenting is is back then the internet was still fairly new, but you could get around pretty good on it. So I would just search anything I could find out that was anything like what I was trying to invent because mm -hmm. that'll save you a lot of money if you do it. And I highly recommend it now. If you have a great idea, search the internet in any form you can describe that thing because it's about $2,500 for a patent search. You're still going to have to do the patent search because you need to make sure that somebody had just because it's not on the market, they still haven't locked it up with a patent. So I, I do recommend you do the patent search, but you can save yourself a lot of money and headache by searching first and see what you can. Oh, find. wow. So you pay like 2,500 bucks and then they tell you, they search their database and then they tell you like, hey, this exists or this doesn't. Yeah, exactly. And then at that point, you got to pay more to get a patent after that or is that like- oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that costs 2500 bucks and that takes about a year. Then when you, when, that. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty lucky with my deal. Um, electronic patents usually run about $100,000. Um, I got mine. Get yeah. the fuck out of here. A hundred grand just yeah. to come up with a new idea? If it's electronic, because those bastards, it's like coming up with a new uh, pharmaceutical drug. I would, could not imagine what those patents cost. Holy um, shit, man. 
Yeah, everything's different. And so what happened when you apply for a patent, so they get your six grand, okay? Yeah, so that's like, like what find out what the cheapest patent is, like like toilet paper roll, and then just be like, Oh, it's a toilet paper roll that also has headphones on it. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> and see, so because it's a toilet paper roll and it's headphones, you'll never make it through the first time because the guy in the patent office reads it. He goes, Oh, I know what toilet paper is and I know what headphones are. So he puts you in the pile that says deny. So that's yeah. your first six thousand dollars. Now that's the patent great. attorney smiles right at you and says, "Nobody makes it through the first time." Oh, great! Very unique. Well, what happened is I made it through the second time, and he said, "You got to pay me another four grand to redo this." So I got a discounted price, and as you keep going, it would have been four thousand each time we applied. After that, I made it through the second time. And that wow. means my yeah, my my product is so unique that it made it through the second time. So basically, that was the first time somebody truly read what the patent is. And so so let, let's talk about this. So essentially you have here, I'm going to throw this up on the screen that people, so people can see. And um, then I will also try to do my best to explain it for those that are listening into the podcast. So essentially what you have here is you have, uh, I'm on your website, o-tus.com. So o-tus.com. <clears throat> and you have the, the main picture up here. You got some dude riding mountain bike. And there's like a, a little speaker that's kind of fixed onto his helmet, but above his ear. And when I saw these in person, they kind of have like a little like directional kind of um, thing around it. So it's not like a, a like a regular headphone that you could actually plop into your ear. Kind of has like a little like a little thin like circle around it that kind of points that sound down towards your ear. So then you have like a bit like a like a bigger driver in there than than yes. Normal or so for instead of using the appropriate there a bigger speaker in there yeah. than uh than than like what what you would see in like the little tiny headphones. Correct. It, what it, what it is is it's actually what the magnets wrapped in copper. I've got it wrapped as much as I possibly can. So those little speakers right there. What I use is sound beam technology is how I like to describe what Otis how I produce the sound that your ear picks up and allows all the other sound to come in because I'm not enveloping everything around you with sound, even though when you listen to it, it's in surround sound, as you've noticed, but it allows the other sound to come in. It's because it's a straight beam of sound coming to the ear. The ear diffuses everything and, and brings it in in a nice, yeah, smooth sound. So that's <clears throat> I used to always ride with headphones. I would purposely try to find like the shittiest headphones that like had an over the ear hook so that I could, but that didn't like really seal in my ear. That way I could not like, like it wouldn't block out everything. And I didn't have to ride like, kind of like what you were saying, like with one out or something like that. Yeah. So this allows you to really hear that music. But then at the same time, you, you can still hear like all the trail chatter and all, all this and that. Okay. You can hear and you're going to get chain long before you can feel it in the pedal. So uh, when you're pedaling, you start to hear the chain bind. You can just stall the chain, backstroke it, not even a quarter turn, and it'll reset your chain. You lose no momentum whatsoever because of Otis. Otis will make you faster. If you listen to music that you personally like, you can get up to 18% gains in performance. And that study was done by Stanford University. Um, oh, wow. It, yeah, so it's really cool, but that's that what like the problem is, dude. Ever since I started the channel, I stopped listening to music, dude. That's why, yeah. that's why everybody now you guys know why I'm slow. I fucking just need to start listening to the music again. Eighteen percent. I lost eighteen percent. That's fine. Yeah. 
you, you got to listen to not elevator music. You got to listen to your music. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is super cool. Another cool thing about Otis, while we're on the subject of getting faster, is is because Otis, the new Bluetooth will play up to 18 hours. When you Strava or use any other service to map your routes, you know where the climbs are with time marks. So you can basically choreograph your lap times to put the proper music on for the proper climb, for the flats, and for the downhills. So if you're going to run a Metallica on the climbs, you know what I'm saying, and maybe some tool on a downhill, I guarantee you you're going to be faster. There you go, dude. I'll give you your money back if you're not. <laughs> but you can. I get a lot of people like to do that. People, it also has a memory card slot so you can download onto a memory card, um, you know, podcast or anything positive uh, speakers and things like that. Because lately, this is top secret crap going through the pros. They're all, they're not listening to music on the trail. They're listening to pod, motivational speakers. You know, I, I, um, I, if I'm writing with music, I'm, I'm, or if I'm riding mountain bike, I'm usually listening to music, but I do commute on my bike um, to work and that takes about an hour each way. And uh, that I, I almost always am listening to podcasts yeah. because it's like super like, it's fucking boring, right? You know, it's not right. like mountain bike where I'm like having a good time and shit. Like, it's like, you're just riding a straight line. It's a road bike, right? Yeah. And uh, so like that, I, I definitely, I started going through all kinds of podcasts and you know, when you, when you're, there was a point a couple of weeks ago where I was doing it every day a week. And it's like, that that's like, you know, two hours a day. I was just burning through shit. So I yeah. definitely hear, hear what you're saying there. And I like, I really enjoy the, the idea of, of really being able to hear what's kind of going on around you. Cause sometimes you kind of like, you know, you get that one song that you really liked and you turned it up and then you kind of forget to turn it back down or something. And the next thing you know, you realize you're like, I, I can't hear shit that's going on around me. Yeah. So you mentioned Bluetooth. So this is not wired. Is there no, a wired version? Wired, no, we, uh, the Bluetooth actually can go on the back of the helmet like this here. Or if you need to make phone calls with it, you some people mount it up in the front. But usually when I'm riding, I don't have anything to do with the phone call. So right. if you have people that request it and ask me, well, can you make a phone call with it? You can. You can make a call with it. You can push the button to redial last number dialed. So if you need an emergency, you know, you put your wife's or your girlfriend's, whatever husband's number in there, you can just reach back and call them if you need to check in. Um, other than that, I have tried to talk to Siri with it. If she's, if your phone's mounted on the bar, you know, those new bar mounted things for the phones yeah. that people are using. Um, she has answered me and done a few requests. So it's, it's a little sketchy, but uh, I think that'll get worked out. Uh, down the road, I'm sure. I think Siri's a little sketchy on her own, so. Yeah, but I, you know, I tried it. I you just had that affixed to the very back of the helmet. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're just, does your product ship with like some kind of like Velcro or something like that? Or It comes with snap lock. It's made by 3M and uh, it comes apart that easy and it snaps right back on just like that. Doesn't uh -huh. come off, not at all. You can shake your head around and then just like I said, it'll pop right off like that. So yeah, it comes with enough snap lock to set up two helmets or a helmet and a hat, a helmet and a snowboard helmet. Um, it goes into anything. If you're a construction worker, works great in those hats. Um, I just came back from Hawaii and I wore it in my surf hat along the Nepali coastline. And uh, it was awesome to be on the back of a boat and uh, not have to worry about anything. So, so is, the, is the product waterproof as well? My speakers are waterproof. Um, I'm working uh, right now on some prototype stuff to get these water, the Bluetooth waterproof. That's my um, my biggest hurdle at the moment um, because I have uh, paddleboarders can wear it no problem when you're out paddleboarding because they don't 
typically fall in the water. But Dude, you never see me on a paddleboard, man. I, <laughs> I, I spend more time in the water than I do on that thing. Apparently, balance is not my strong suit. Yeah. The, uh, so in whitewater kayakers, when we went to Vail a couple years ago to the GoPro games, they were swarming the booth and they said, dude, this would be awesome. It's not, it's like when you're downhill and you're not paying attention to the music at that point. So it really doesn't matter about it. It's in the flats and things like that. Well, it's the same thing for surfers uh, or whitewater kayakers. It's not always, you know, class five rapids. There's a lot of time where it's just mellow and same with surfing. You just sit out back and you're waiting for sets. And some days it can be almost as much as 10 minutes. It can get kind of slow and right. uh, in SoCal. So, you know, I, I just trying to get my product into more uh, uses as possible. And it's crazy because every time I see a hat, even the hat you're wearing, they can go into that hat. Mm -hmm. You know, you just make a little relief cut in the uh, sweatband, pop them right in and snap lock it to the back of that trucker hat. And you got yeah, yeah, I've seen I, I've seen the people like when you guys were wearing it at Interbike. That's actually how I met you. Um, what and you guys had you were just kind of standing there like with the uh, kind of like the big sunshade hat on. The one guy had or yeah, the lady. that was my daughter actually right here. Oh, awesome. oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So you, you can just take them right out of your mountain bike helmet. They pop right in and out that easy, but yet they stay on. And when you put it on, it's right at your ears and you're just chilling, doing yard work. Your wife tells you, you know, when she's calling your name and you don't hear her because you got earbuds in or vice versa, it kind of gets frustrating, you know? So is the little, is the little, like the speaker part, is that, does that, there's a wire that goes back to the Bluetooth spot? Yeah, it would go right back here on the back of the helmet. I'll show you. You just pop it off the helmet that fast and then just pop it onto your hat and it's done that fast. And, I so and then there's a wire that goes to the little headphone thing, or, or yeah, that's I just pop the hole in the back of the little hat, and then it's just like that. And it, there's uh, okay. no wire in your way. See how it's, I don't know if you can see that, but it's all tucked up under here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. sweatband, and then just pops out of the back of the helmet and to the Bluetooth. You can put it underneath if you don't want to see it. I we use it like this so people can see what I have. Right. So it's the display thing right now, um, and then a hard hat. Because some some job sites are you know totally against music whatsoever, but I do have heavy equipment operators. I have phone guys, uh, power line guys. They all use it, and it goes into these helmets just as easy. And any kind of hard hat. And what they'll do is they'll tuck the Bluetooth up in the top, or they'll put it under the brim in the front, so they can make a phone call. Because when you're down in a hole working on schematics, you got to hold it with your your phone with your ear, and you're trying to work putting phone lines or electrical lines back together. Otis frees that up. Now yeah, the phone is yeah. up on the top, still getting signal, sending it down to you. Now you have both your hands to work with. Same with the, any other sports. You, you still got both your hands, you know, or any. So, so what's the sound like? How, how's the, because uh, I, I remember you saying something about like how loud it was when we were talking. Yeah, the, uh, the sound, people tell me they love the sound. Now there's sound guys that'll tell me, oh, you need this, you need that. And, you know, but a lot of times it has to do with the phone app you're using and the Bluetooth, my Bluetooth now, we've increased our sound depth is much better than it was and the volume's up a little bit more. We got requests for just a little bit more volume. So we've done that. Now my speakers put out 108 decibels. So they are not designed to go in your ear. And I usually tell people that, you know, don't put them in your ears, but I own the company. I put them in my ears all the time. So, uh, you know, because I go to the gym with them and I'll tuck them up in my bandana, I wear a sweat bandana, you know, like biker style, I tuck it up in there. And if I want to hear everybody, but if I don't want to hear the gym, because the gym, you know, noise can be a little bit loud, I just put them in the ear. They will sit in your ear. 
but mm -hmm. we do not recommend it. And by the way, that same study that Stanford was talking about earbuds and, and music performance, they said that any kind of earbud in your ear, no matter the volume, is damaging to hearing. Yeah. It's because it's direct injection of sound. So when you directly inject it, you're taking away all of the diffusing aspects of the ear and it goes right in straight. And they were saying that it doesn't even matter how loud the volume is, it's bad for your hearing. Yeah, and I would imagine though, for the most part, when you're riding, like you do want to hear, at least me, like I, I want to hear that trail noise because that helps me, you know, predict that my tire is going to wash or it helps me know that yeah. somebody just came up on my ass or like I'm out at night and fucking Chupacabra is going to eat me, you, you know, like whatever the fuck it is. So, yeah. Um, you can hear overbreaking too. So you it's basically it even helps save the trail a little bit because you can realize you're overbreaking because we get a lot of bad press from certain people that come down trails and you know they just roosting out every berm and you know yeah. it's it, it's kind of tough sometimes, especially when you're in pristine places where they're anti-mountain biker, you know, and they, they just don't understand that their hiking shoe actually destroys the trail far more than our little rubber tires rolling over it, you know. So yeah. it, it, you get a lot of bad press for that. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, man, there there's about a million conversations to have about who erodes the trail most. And yeah. usually whoever's freaking funding the conversation is not guilty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I can I can vouch for what I know because a lot of the trails I ride are strictly mountain bike trails that are out there. They're not actually yeah. cut multi-purpose trails. There's you know some top secret stuff. The grass is laid down in there, the leaves are there. You don't see exposed dirt, you yeah. just see a depression. So you you know. A hiking trail is a clean trail. <laughs> I tell you what, man. I, I don't. I'm, I'm not really like super huge in the hiking community, and I don't have a horse. But I, from from at least my way through life right now, please somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I don't see a lot of trail days being done by those groups no. where you, you see these mountain bikers out, you know, building new trails, advocating for them, repairing them, going out and fixing trails that weren't even you know, quote unquote mountain bike trails to begin with, and and to me, I think that, you know, it kind of stands stands up on its own there, you know. It, it, it does. Down here in Southern California, um, because it, it's been around so long, um, there's trails down here where I live, horse trails on maps that are over 100 years old. Mountain bikers go out and re-clear those, not horse people. So I can speak a little bit to what you're talking about. Um, I'm an inspector. I used to be an inspector at a city here, so I had to maintain them. They would take them from the mountain bikers, basically, and say, okay, thank you very much. Now we're going to put up uh, rail fencing and, and other things um, to, to more what they call modernize it instead yeah. of it just being a raw little thing, you know, where you had a little hole in the bushes, you pop through that, and then it was open. Right. <laughs> You got to open up to everybody, but yeah, they, they don't go out and do their own. Uh, not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I am either. So you mentioned riding mountain bikes. What, what got you into mountain bikes? Uh, actually, uh, to be honest, <laughs> I used to smoke cigarettes and, <laughs> and ride my motorcycle. So to, to, um, get off that motorcycle, I, I said I would stop riding them and it was the hardest thing. I still dream about riding motorcycles on the street. Um, it's just too crowded anymore. And anyways, uh, so I bought a cheap mountain bike. It's so funny. I bought it at Wal at Sam's Club for a hundred bucks, and there it was a size, a size medium. And I'm six feet tall, two hundred thirty-five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought this motors or this uh, mountain bike. It was called a Motive, and I actually kept that thing for years. And I gave it to a kid, and he, and he rode it for a long time. But uh, so I buy this bike. And I couldn't, obviously, I smoked cigarettes. I couldn't ride up a hill. And I thought those guys were crazy that could ride on single track. 
So I'm walking up these dirt roads and, you know, there might be a little jump. You know how dirt roads are. They'll have the little yeah, thing yeah. water off the side. A and water so bar or something. I thought that was a lot of fun jumping that thing. And uh, the more I did it, the more I wanted to climb up. And then when I rode my first single track, I uh, pretty much quit smoking cigarettes within a week. And uh, that changed everything. And now I'm not fast. I never win. Uh, but uh, I do like long endurance rides. I used to do some 24-hour events with a group of guys and then, I've done some long multi-state rides from Colorado into Moab, Utah. Done some stuff oh, like that. Wow. Yeah, I like doing that kind of thing. I'm more of the uh, adventure guy. Racing always gets me a little hyped up. I like to do it just because I like get to be with everybody, see uh -huh. people that I don't get to see every day. But, uh, yeah, when it comes down to it, if you, <laughs> I like multi-day stuff like that. Go out. Yeah, and that adventure ride, there's, there's definitely a part of me that really freaking that is fascinated by it. And I think – I'd really like to try something like that, you know, where, where you're, you're out, you know, just, and I, I think it really, what it came from is I watched that, that documentary ride the divide. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Yeah. Mary uh, McCormick's in that from Idlewild. I actually sponsor with my speakers. Oh, she right. On. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, they, they ride from like Banff, Canada down to Mexico and like yeah. just watching, like, I, I just would love to do something like, on an epic proportion like that sometime. You yeah, know? you know, they do that ride just to get a t-shirt at the end at the post office across the border. Yeah, yeah there's no, like, it's completely self-funded and whatnot. Totally. Yeah. It, it, any of you guys that have not seen that documentary, it's called Ride the Divide. And it's just, um, it's amazing that these guys and late gals, they, they do this, like, it's like 3,200 and some mile ride, all self-supported out in the middle of fucking nowhere. And, um, the, yeah. the, one, the thing that'll blow your fucking mind, dude, go to the website and they have the fastest times. And there's some dipshits doing that shit on single speeds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. And they had a hike over avalanches and it's still, you know, it's a threatening movie. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The, the, route, the trip I took was with the San Juan Huts tour. Um, this guy, Joe. So it was 235 miles, not nothing like the divide. But uh, we stayed in uh, these little portable cabins. And uh, they're yeah, the guy that did my tattoo. He's actually done that. He's a big rider. Does those things. Yeah. It was so, awesome. So you just like ride for like a day. How many miles you put in in a day? It's so easy. I trained so hard the whole year before I went to that thing. I was doing 50 mile days yeah. <laughs> in uh, big mountain climbs. They do 35 miles a day. It's nothing to get 200 yeah. racked up in a week. I could, some of the days we'd go too hard when we first started, went too hard and uh, we just get there too early and then go exploring, which is fine. But there, the very first day that we did have a mile and a half of snow to walk in, we were the first group out that season because I didn't want any trail in front of me. I wanted to be first. And yeah. I took a fly rod and I took a gold pan thing and my panniers and I had my Otis and I had a solar charger that went on the side. It's made by Daisy or uh, Solio. It's their Daisy one opens up like a flower. I had that on the pack on my uh, saddlebags and uh, I just rode and I always had it. And there was only one day out of seven where the phone worked and I got to call home one time and that was it. But man, those elk will hold until you're within three feet of them because Otis doesn't affect the animals. They don't, they're not afraid of it. You will still see just as many deer on the trail and wildlife as you ever have. Um, I've ridden down trails with mount or uh, with uh, bobcats running down the trail, skunks, deer, they stay right in front of you. They don't even know you're behind them on a mountain bike. We're so quiet. So when an elk, especially a Utah elk, Colorado elk springs up out of the bushes and they're right next to you, man, is that scary. 
It's crazy. Dude, those things are fucking massive, man. They are huge. Like, you've never seen one. Like you, most people think in their head, they're like, oh, deer. They think about what the deer looks like. And they're like, oh, some big ass antlers on that. No, those things are like fucking 700 pounds, man. Yeah. And I bet it was happening at least three to four times a day. Wow. The, because when, when the winter, it was a really bad winter, that winter they had had up to 20 feet of snow on the ground at one time. So everything was locked down. So once it broke, there was so much migration. I'd never seen more white-tailed deer in my life. And those things were everywhere. And uh, the biggest jackrabbits. There was a lot of death on the animals along the way. You, can, you know, we definitely saw um, lots of dead elk that just didn't make it. And they were still rotting. That's how early in the season we had gone. Uh, they don't make it through the winter. It's just like too it, cold or something. That like one that. was just too bad. It was a really brutal one. 20 feet of snow. We actually... Um, we're across the road one time and there was a couple of elk that had tried to step through the deep snow and got tangled up in the, the, the barbed wire fencing that runs down the side of the highway. And, uh, they got caught up in that. So we were, you know, they're hanging there. They're obviously been dead for a month, but, uh, yeah. just, you, know, you kind of think about things, how hard it really is out there to try to, you know, survive for one year, let alone your whole life. So, right on. So, so back to, to the, the product Otis, what, what does the name mean? Otis. Otis was a very difficult name to come up with. The O and the T stand for the optic nerve. It's uh, O-T-I-C. And uh -huh. that's one of the ears that runs from the brain to the ear. The us is you and me, my wife, all our friends. It's everybody. It's a community thing. So that's where the us is. So oh, cool. we just try to tie the ear in with us, that kind of thing, you know, just the friendly type of thing. And it also makes people ask me, what is Otis? And I get to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. So yeah. how do you go from taking somebody else's products apart, be it, you know, some like, let's just say the Sony headphones to creating your own? I mean, it's not like there's like a, a store that you can walk into and just say, hey, build this shit. So so you being just a regular dude, how do you go from that to being able to man manufacture a product? Uh, that's That's very difficult and very discouraging because when you're not wealthy and you don't have a name to get yourself in to say uh, we can go, I, I don't really want to drop anybody's names, um, but any speaker man, or earbud manufacturing companies, or any, right. it's so hard to get a hold of anybody that will talk to you, first off, to even try to build something for you. There's a funny thing going on in China. It's basically America in the early 19, late 1800s, early 1900s. They don't say no. They'll build anything you're willing to pay for. Right. And as long as that happens. So to pay for molds, you know, you're looking at a $30,000 bill right off. So, I mean, how do you get to that spot? Like, do you initially, like when you first started, so you were trying to like call up, you know, company X, company Y and company Z here that you already know and just be like, Hey, do you want to build this for me? And just weren't getting anywhere. And then some. Right. All you could get to is customer service and then you'd write support and then you try to get a hold of somebody in the sales department because salesmen are connected. And if you have something that's, more than likely going to be your way in is through a salesperson and then you have to sit there and pick it Dude, it's so much detective work it's not fun at all it, it takes days and days and weeks and weeks to do um to get into these places if you don't have an in um it's it's a tough deal even here locally skull candy any of these uh beats any of that stuff to try to get a hold of somebody to actually bring a product to them to say here would you like to see this it's very difficult um it's easier to get into large investment companies so, so initially you were thinking about just licensing the product to somebody else? No, I, I didn't have the funding to build it. 
Um, that was my biggest thing to, is manufacturing. It still is to this day. Manufacturing. So you, got, so you got the patent, and then at that point, you were going to them and saying, "Hey, you want to you want to be in on this?" Right. Exactly. You try it, but they wouldn't even respond to you. Um, even in Europe, they wouldn't respond to me because there's uh, Philip. I didn't want to say anybody's names. Anyways, yeah. they're, out, they're out of England, and I couldn't get a response. And I tried for six months. I, I, I still try to this day because I'm a very small company. I actually put all this together in my house. I make all the cuts myself on the snap lock. I had to have something made by an engineer, uh, a machinist engineer. And so the things I actually cut the little round circles out on my speakers, they're actually valves for a Rolls Royce. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. So I, I actually hand press them and cut them all myself. I order the snap lock from 3M. Um, there are companies that can make these cuts for me. I, it's just like I said, it, funding is is an amazing thing because money goes like water when you when you invent something. So, so, how do you finally get a hold of the guy in China to build your product for you? There is a there's a website called Alibaba. Uh huh. And that's how I did it. So, what is that? It's just like it's like a fucking website. You can go and get get somebody to build some shit for you. Brother, if you want to be able to tickle your big toe in your ear at the same time, you go on that website, somebody's probably already got it made. There's over a billion products on there. And what happens is when you go onto the product there, you actually are talking directly to the manufacturer, the builders themselves. And that's what makes Alibaba so great. So where you can't get a hold of somebody, say it's Skull Candy here, there to get them to help you make stuff here, which they make it there anyways. Right. Them out of it and you go directly to the manufacturer and you know they're real nice to you at first just like any other business they'll let you build a thousand of them you know so you get your prototypes going and do your testing and things like that but that second order you better be ready to order a lot more because when the time comes and uh, they see what you got they're gonna make you order a lot um, we used to use um, uh, another company's Bluetooth and uh, once they found out what I was doing they said minimum order 25,000 I don't have that kind of backing Right, right. And not only is that insane, I don't have that kind of sales. And if I were to go after that, you know, sure, if they're going to give it to me for, let's just say, $3.50 a piece, that's a big chunk of money. I got to have a manufactured. That's a big upfront cost. By the time I get done selling all those, I'll be two, three years behind the times having to come out with something else. So yeah. I, I, I still, you know, I use different manufacturers for different things. Um, it's a lot easier that way. That way they can't. <laughs> they found me the other day though. <laughs> yeah, I tried to hide from China. Um, the other thing real quick before I forget, um, there is a, somebody out there making fake Otis's and they sell them on, uh, on, uh, Amazon. I do not sell on Amazon. I only sell through bike shops and my website and that is it. The only right. other way to get Otis is either go to a bike event and I end up falling in love with you and I give them away free cause I do that probably way too much. Or, <laughs> Or a charity event, you know. Uh, yeah. That's the only other way you can get Otis. It's either through my website or, uh, you know, through a bike shop. Uh, we are sold globally all over the world in 20 countries. Um, but it's just myself and my wife. That's who runs this company. Um, she so helps tremendously. You still, you still have a full-time job? Oh, yeah. I'm an inspector. I build uh, roads. So that's uh, capital improvement projects. Right on. I work for a private firm, but... Um, different cities hire me to come in and if they need storm drains, streets, signal lights, bridges, anything to do with the road, that's what I do. I've been doing that since my stepdad was a paving contractor. So at 13, uh -huh. I to work. <laughs> so. so so basically, um, you finally get onto this website, uh, Alibaba, and, and they're willing to, to build you some prototypes. Like, how do you, as a guy like, 
I, I mean, you're not a, a product engineer, right? So how do you say like, hey, I want this headphone to be like this and I want it to do, you know, well, I kind of knew what the federal the federal guidelines were, so all I needed to do was try to step up above that. So we're running at about twenty ohms, and I think we're. I'm trying to remember the watts I put out on this thing. Uh, it was close to twenty at at one point. Um, so what I mean, do they just show you some like like Hey, you want this head the headphone portion to look like this or like this yeah. or like this or do yep. you like? draw them a picture and then they, they like try to figure it out from there or? Yeah, exactly. Anything you can send them helps a lot. Um, that's, that's what I do. I still do it all the time when it comes time to making Bluetooth. They're always trying to, you know, here we got this one. We'll use this one we already have. And I'm like, no, you're not understand. I don't want some big monstrosity. I need this three ounce, you know, I can't have it go over three ounces at the most because people will look at me and say, that's too heavy for my helmet. And they'd be right over a long period of time. This thing is so light and has so much power in it. You know, it's godsend the, to me. The, the box, the box, it, it looks a little big. So, yeah. is that, what, what is the reason that it is so big? Is it just it, like that was so I could get the battery life? The old ones I used to use from a really cool company. Um, I, I, I uh, did really well with those guys. Uh, we got along great. They were an American company, and uh, they sold the Jelly Bean Bluetooth. You can't get it anymore. Um, and I tried to get them to make them, but they're moving on um, into other aspects of, uh, of sound. So um, they don't really make a portable Bluetooth anymore. Not so in how long does the battery last? You said the old batteries. The first ones I had were made by um, Jabra, and they were the ones that came back to me with the twenty-five thousand dollar thing. Theirs would play between two and a half to four hours, and they couldn't even give me a solid four-hour time. So at first, when we first came out with Bluetooth, my pros were saying, "Joe, it's not long enough." Yeah, for that blows, man. I mean, there, you're, there's plenty of like long rides that I do, and maybe it's not. <clears throat> four hours of pedaling but it's four hours after you're standing around bullshitting and somebody gets a fucking flat or a mechanical exactly. and so but yeah I, I definitely if it was four hours i wouldn't be i wouldn't be freaking impressed. no pe people liked it but uh, the lucky part about when we were switching over to the bluetooth era was people everybody was still using mp3 players well with my stuff in mp3 it was loud everybody was happy with it um so once we found i found jelly bean i went and uh I got with those guys and theirs was playing six hours. Now I had something that everybody could use except pros had to charge them every, anybody who could ride that was worth their salt and called themselves a great mountain biker, you know, cat one people, <laughs> all those things. <laughs> they, uh, they, they were happy with the six hours, but some people still requested more. My thing was not having to charge it every damn day. So the new one, because of the 18 hour play time, max playing time on this is uh, that cuts that down. You, two times a week, three times a week, you charge it. But this thing has a hundred days standby, not a hundred hours. It's a hundred days. So even if you're not using this thing, just leave it sit around. It's still going to be charged. So that, that's another cool thing about the new Bluetooth. So it takes a hundred days for it to be dead or a hundred days at like a hundred days. It'll still have a full charge, but then yeah, it will still hold a charge. Yep. For a hundred days. So say you go riding and you don't ride for a week, you don't have to plug it back in to charge it up for three hours, you know, because right. this does have a long charge time because it has a, a much larger battery. That's the other reason for the size we had to get in it is because it's just making a battery big enough to, to be able to do what we needed. So, uh -huh. that, you know, we had that and not, there was a lot of people, I, <laughs> a lot of engineers I have had email arguments with telling me there was no way I was going to get what I wanted done. And <clears throat> That's not true because I have there a lot is, of right? people fucking right in your hand. You never so. take no. Yes, you never take no for an answer, and you just keep pushing forward. Um, 
you know, someday it'll pop and, uh, you know, we always have people calling or emailing and wanting to do something with us and we keep going. Yeah. You. So, um, <clears throat> you initially just were marketing this just to, to mount or to bikers because you're, you're a biker yourself. And then when was it that you realized like, dude, I could sell this to like all these, all kinds of people, you know, like oh, I didn't well, even thought about like the hard hat or anything <clears throat> like right. when I first talked to you. What I had done is I, I, before I was worked privately, I worked for 17 years for the County of Riverside. I had 200 housing tracks that I was responsible for as an inspector. <clears throat> so I met all kinds of superintendents and, and foremen and all equipment operators. And they would ask me, cause I got my uh, truck wrapped. So it's completely wrapped in Otis. There's Coco Pele's all over it in yeah. different sports with music notes, you know? So people would ask me what that is. And uh, I tell them, they go, hey, will that work? In my hard hat. I'm like, yeah, let's try it. You know, for, there's no reason it wouldn't. And then the first time I had this Hispanic gentleman, he was a foreman. His name is George. We'll call him George. It's Jorge, but I don't want to yeah. butcher his name. <laughs> Anyways, will it fit on my cowboy hat, yo? And I said, yes, it'll fit on your cowboy hat. And he called me yo. <laughs> Couldn't say Joe. But anyways, he told me he told us, love that thing. It would actually turn one of the ears back so it could listen to the music while it rode him around. So, All right. Man. Ever since then, anybody I find out rides a horse, I let them know about it, and I get really good feedback from that too, because it's just uh, it fits anything. The jumping hats for horses, the cowboy hats, it works in anything. So, what was this thing run? Well, Otis basically is uh, online and in bike shops at seventy-five dollars for the Bluetooth combo itself. If you still have an old MP3 player, I still tell people all the time they can get the speakers just for forty-two bucks. It will work just fine with your shuffle. Um, it, it, it's, it's a better way to go if uh, you don't, you're not into Bluetooth. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that don't have smartphones still that are using the flip phones now that it just won't work with it. And they tell me they got MP3. I still have MP3s in the garage. I must have seven or eight of them because that's what we used to display on the helmets uh, where back in the day was all MP3 players. So yeah, yeah. it works just fine with that. By the way, my cord length, that's people, you were asking me about how, you know, how it's all self-contained. That's only 18 inches long. That's why. So there's not a bunch of extra cord. So no matter where you put it on something, you can usually wrap that little three inches extra around the Bluetooth and plug it in. So that was the other custom thing I, I didn't we didn't talk about having this made. They couldn't figure out why I wanted them so short. Because <laughs> the, uh -huh. the Chinese are always trying to figure out what you're up to. You know, right. any company is. <laughs> it's just not them. I keep saying that, but that's mostly who I do business with. Uh-huh. So... <clears throat> So you said earlier that that unit also has a, a SD thing in it as well. So it is an MP3 player now. Technically, it's an MP3 player. Yes, it'll play okay. MP3s. It will play um, um, through your Bluetooth. The other cool thing about this is you don't hold the button until it flashes blue and red, blue and red, blue and red, and try to pair it. You just turn it on. If the speaker, you can put the speaker in your ear. It'll tell you Bluetooth on. You go right to your phone connect to it, you only have to do that once. From that moment on, all you do is turn the switch on and that thing's on. So what if you need to repair something else? Uh, they won't bother. You can pair more than one of these to your phone too. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, you can pair three or four of those and have a group ride and everybody's listening to the same thing. If you know, Or you guys wanna put them in the front, you can open mic, call each other and have communications while you're riding. Uh -huh. people, people do that on regular motorcycles, you know, the Aspicades, the Hondas and stuff like that. You know, the ones with armrests, those cruisers. Yeah. I've had people buy them because they don't like the boom mic because it cuts in and out when they talk. 
So they put Otis in the in the front of a full face helmet and uh, in their regular riding helmet, and then they can make a phone call with it and they can talk in it, and they just mount it up here in the front of the jawline right here. Is there is there a mic on it as well? Yeah, there's a microphone. Yep. <coughs> Excuse me. I really bad allergies. The winds are blowing so bad down here. Oops, where's that at? Right there. It's a little pinhole microphone. Oh, so it's in the in the base unit that if you were mountain biking, it would be on the back. So that's yeah. why you were saying they put that piece in the in the yeah, mount. They'll, they'll mount it up here underneath the front. And you see it goes in there just fine. It really doesn't get in the way. It'll yeah, yeah. A lot of guys mount GoPros up in that area underneath the visor like that. So yeah. I, I can see what you're saying there. Yeah, that's when you'll do it. Even when it's on the back, if you come to a complete stop, you can hear them talking to you. They'll tell you they can barely hear you, though. Yeah. So I recommend – that's why we tell everybody, if you really got to use the phone, just put it up in the front. Right. And if so, you want. So you said you, you do 24-hour races as well? Yeah, I used to do the 24 hours of adrenaline series. It would come to either. That, man. What's that? I said, how do you get into that, man? You're just like, I, I don't like fucking sleeping, and I love riding bikes. Or <laughs> – yeah. Um, what's fun about it, it used to go to this place called Herky Creek up near Lake Hemet, Idlewild area here in Southern California. It was the only place on the tour it stopped twice. And so I used to get to do it twice a year. And uh, the biggest thing was to get your lap time down under an hour, which meant you were a fairly decent mountain biker. And then uh, if you were, and I always took night laps. I love them. Um, I usually get mine first one about 9, 930 at night. All the townspeople would show up and they'd line this one downhill drop section that's all in the in the man's Anita and the scrub brush and they would sit there with headlamps and, and uh, dig or uh, you know glow in the dark whatever those things you break yeah um, and lights or whatever they're called yeah everything so you'd be ripping down through this thing they're all in your face like the tour de france and it was just so much fun and it'd be i don't know 75 people lying that little hole in there and uh, screaming for you and what was cool about it is that is at the end of the very you know it's a pretty tough 10 mile little lap you got to ride there so uh, it was so basically what you would be doing for that 24 hour race is riding a 10 mile loop as many times as you can as many times as you can so i would i would be on a 10 man team so i would more than likely i was going to end up with four laps so we would try to win so we would sit there and, and you'd get your lap and then you'd get three or four hours sleep and then you go hit another lap so uh -huh. sitting there constantly but you never could sleep anyways but yes there are people there much smaller than i am far as stature goes <laughs> yeah. to, to do that you i don't think a person of my size or yours is going to fare very well in a 24-hour solo event that that would yeah be not unless we're drinking dude <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what that I'll, is that bitch <laughs> those people would get hammered i mean people would show up there for these things and they would bring women and, and you know uh, <laughs> and they'd have wine and tequila and they party the night before and the next day for that race start at noon nobody <laughs> out of that motorhome <laughs> be like, oh, you guys. and it's not cheap you know it's not a yeah, cheap yeah that's crazy how do you like so so you normally do it in teams though i know some people do that though but on their own completely totally solo yeah or you'll get them that'll do a two-man team, four-man team, or a ten-man team is is your choices. Back then, I don't know what's going on in that uh, race series now because I don't even think that that guy was doing it. He was from yeah. Canada. But uh, so was the the course like pretty much like just like kind of XE. It wasn't like super like chunky or anything like that. Uh, well, the Idlewild one was famous because it had another run called the Luge, and it was very smooth, just like a Luge run, and you could go very very fast down that thing. And uh, if you got the ball crossed up a little bit, it, you were on it. And then that thing I told you about called the tunnel of love, if you straight lined it, you're definitely doing three to four foot drops ripping through there. So I wouldn't say it's uh, a beginner's course by any means. Yeah. You know? So you started out on a on a bike from 
from Walmart or Sam's Club? What yeah. we we ride nowadays? Uh, right now, I ride a uh, a Nikolai. Um, I used to do the Spring Challenge in Idlewild, and uh, that's a thirty mile, ten thousand foot uh, elevation gain on on a race day. And I come in last, of course. Well, my first year doing it is uh, I'm there, and everybody's waiting because they wait for the last person to cross the line before they give the raffle or the uh, or or the uh, award ceremony. Well, anyways, this year I took so long, it took me four and a half hours to do the 30 miles. They uh, they went ahead with the raffle. Well, I'm walking to my truck with my head hung low because I'm just burnt. They say it's like running two marathons. So I get done and I get over to the truck and my friend Dennis is waiting for me because he kicked my ass by an hour and a half. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> it's easy when you're only 135 pounds. No. Right. Right. So no, uh, he gets there and he pulls out this set of Spinergy rims and he goes, look what you won. And I look at him and I go, what? Everybody there was all quiet waiting. And then I turned around, I freaked out and they all started cheering because they all knew what was going to happen. Oh, that's so cool. So you won the raffle. I won, I won the raffle of these Spinergy rims and I still have them to this day on the same bike I had built around those rims and they have never had to be trued. And I'm 235 pounds and I ride, I straight line everything. So right. I'll put them through hell. I can feel them flexing a turn and I keep thinking that's gonna pop and it never has. But anyways, has. my first bike was uh, made by Nikolai. They're out of Germany. There used to be a, one dealer here in California, which was a friend of mine. And so I always wanted that, a bike like that. So I got that bike and uh, so I went from my, uh, a hundred dollar bike. I bought a giant rain for fourteen hundred dollars after that, and then I won those rims like two months later. So I spent five thousand dollars on a bike, and uh, needless to say, she's my ex-wife now. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> for a bicycle, you know what I'm saying. So um, I have that, uh, but now I have. You know, it's crazy, dude. Like I, honestly, I, I hear people say it all the time, and. You know, they're like, you know, who, who, why the hell would you pay, you know, like five, ten thousand dollars for a bicycle? And this is the way I look at it, man. Like, when, when I bought a motorcycle, let's just say that was a used one for five, six grand, you know, like you're, you're paying for something to have fun on. So that's to you for this much money, that's how much that fun is worth. And I, you know, aside from like, most guys don't don't get in on the, the street bike as much as like what you were talking about. Like when I was riding, I was doing the same thing. Fucking commuting, I was fucking, I was probably, you know, thousands of miles on my bike in like no time compared to like, guys will have a street bike for fucking 10 years and still have 5,000 miles on it, you know? Right. I, I was riding like 30,000 miles a year on, on, a, on a street bike, you know? Yep. And uh, um, I think that the same thing goes with, with with what I was saying though, is like for the, like how much is that fun worth? And most guys that go out and ride these, buy these street bikes for 10 grand brand new and never ride them or they ride them on the weekends every other weekend or whatever. Yeah. They, they're not really getting their money out of it compared to like, I ride my, my mountain bike sometimes three times a week, you know, and, and it's definitely every weekend. And it's like, I, I freaking I think that having a piece of machinery that, you know, makes that more fun for me or makes me even if it doesn't make it more fun for me if it just makes me think it's more fun like right. that's what it's fucking that's what that's that's what you go to work for right it's, you know yeah, 
it's one of the best therapies I've ever found. Um, it's like a reset button on the day. If you can mountain bike at the end of your day, you're a lucky person because usually we're all tired and we put it off. Um, yeah. For a while there, I was riding at four in the morning so I could get one before I went to work. And then I'd get off work and I'd go for a ride. And it was it really was all about stress because, you know, in the construction industry and having so much work on my plate, I, I needed to get rid of a lot of stress. And I always tell people it's better than Prozac. Um, yeah. you know, you know, yeah, I always call it single track therapy, you know, yeah, for sure. And, you know, remember when I said back when I started, I used to smoke cigarettes, uh, five grand in a year on cigarettes. I'm sure I never really added it up, but I'm sure I was dropping that kind of cash anyways. And I still have my, my, all my bikes. I don't really get rid of them because I, you know, you get a relationship with them. I know some guys, they get new bikes every year. Um, by the way, I have a carbon fibers, uh, <laughs> Santa Cruz or a specialized. That's my urban assault because I'm so heavy, the flex hits their chain derail around the tire. So I had to put that one on the street only. But I have a Jamis also, uh, Takar team. Uh, God, what else do we have out there? I got a, I got six or seven bikes. So does the wife ride too? Yeah, my yes, my wife rides. She's just getting started, and, and we just took our seven-year-old son to Mammoth to the Kamikaze Games, and he got to ride paper route for the first time. And I, you know, when I taught him how to ride out in the street, I told him. You don't use that front brake for nothing but going faster. I said, if you want to go faster, that's when we're going to learn how to use that front brake. I said, I want you to stay away from that brake because, you know, people hold that finger on there like a security blanket and you touch that brake and you're over the bars. And, you know, I, yeah, I, I got somebody to... that's really good at pulling his front brake. He's fucking yeah. all the time. Yeah. It's a bad habit. <laughs> a bad habit. <laughs> I don't know. I've always braked evenly on my brakes, like yeah. forever. That's because so, we ride motorcycles, but people, motorcyclists, I believe, learn how to ride mountain bikes a little bit easier than the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, I've been riding mountain bikes since, since the 90s. So, I mean, I, I was riding them before I was riding motorcycle, but uh, I don't know. It just, I guess it's just for me and whatever, you know, <laughs> who knows, who knows what the real reason is. Yeah, so. there is no real good reason. I just know that I like it and uh, it makes me smile and like chocolate cake, you know? <laughs> so you're out of Southern California. Um, yep. We're out of Lake Elsinore, California. And was that like LA area or something like that? Um, no, it's more like Temecula. We're inland from San Juan Capistrano. So it takes me an hour to go up and over the mountain here, but there's some really nice downhill here. Um, a lot of pros train here in Lake Elsinore. It's very steep. And then uh -huh. uh, there's some great rides down into the coastal area. Plus we have uh, some large mountains here. So Big Bear is about an hour and a half away. So to go right up there, but then Idlewild's only about 45 minutes away and the single track up there is phenomenal. It's one of the best kept secrets. I've ridden all over America, um, um, so I, I can vouch for it. It's it's really good up in Idlewild. Um, they had a fire go through there, so I don't know how much of those trails are open and uh, hopefully some of the stuff I built still there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I built teeter-totters, quality teeter-totters. <laughs> so you got um so at this point you said you're in a bunch of shops and stuff like that just like local shops or do you have any like yeah chains that you're sitting in or no we don't we're not in any uh chains we were in uh price point for a long time um i learned a you'll learn a big lesson if you try to get into the industry uh distributorship isn't all that it's cracked up to be um if they don't go out and sell your product your product just you know sure they bought 30 of them off you you got a 30 dollars sale at half of what you would have made had you sold it yourself but that being said, that's not a complaint. That's just the reality of the business. You have yeah. to make it so everybody can make money off of your product. So um, 
we got into price point and all they did was bury us in the catalog. They never ran one ad about us. And, you know, they were that big corporate online buying machine. You could, you know, people were going there to buy all kinds of stuff all the time instead of their local bike shop. Um, so I, I got into that one. I was in another one by Brixton, which is a little boutique um, one. And uh, he's since got into triathlons. By the way, triathletes love my stuff. <laughs> Just to throw that out there. Yeah, they do. They really do. Um, there's a guy, triathlete store in San Diego. He, he always reorders from me. He's one of my biggest movers of Otis in the shop. Right on. Yeah, down in San Diego. So I'm kind of in the middle between San Diego and, uh, and L.A., to tell you the truth. So, so have you ever considered like doing some kind of like Shark Tank kind of thing? or? Well, uh, I, I definitely have uh, done Shark Tank, <laughs> uh, but made it to the finals three times. Are you serious? Yeah, I've never appeared on television. Um, I've been contacted by uh, Dave Yancey. He has a, a television show that's on, uh, I think that was on a CBS uh, cable channel. And, and it's where you compete um, with other inventors and, and with your product. And then, uh, so I've been how, contacted. How does the Shark Tank thing go? How, you, you like go to their website, you fill out some form, you're like, Hey, I got some shit I want to show. Like, they have to like pre-qualify you before they even let you show up, or yeah, yeah, you got to pre-qualify, and then once you get that, they'll send you a congratulations letter, or they'll call you on the phone and tell you uh, you made it to the video submission round. So once you get there, that's pretty cool. But once you make it to that, you have an inch and a half to two inch thick stack of papers you got to fill out, and it's detailed and it's a lot of work. So if you're not in the paperwork, don't apply for a television show. <laughs> you're not in the paperwork business. So so you get this this letter or whatever from them that yeah. Says, says, yeah, let's 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 fucking let's see what you're made of. Right. And then you gotta fill out the phone book. And then so you said video submission. So you uh you have to yeah. make a video then or so then you make a video and it's it, it's gotta be cut down right to the time. And sometimes that's difficult. So you go out and you do a lot of filming and in your, you know, different locations and you're trying to show your product so it, it looks good. But what happens is uh, you get all that done and then you trim it down to your five minutes and then you submit it to that. And then they'll tell you you made it to the finals. So this means that you're going to be looked at by the actual producer of the show. And he's going to decide he or she's going to decide whether you're going to appear on television. So you get that and you're like another stack of papers, another phone book, another phone book to fill out. And I'm like, Oh my God, you're kidding me. Right. You can't just use the stuff you already have. Nope. You got to fill it out again. So uh, I did that and uh, I didn't ever got a call. The second time I did it, I never got a call. Um, but the third time they called me and I was actually down in um, San Clemente at the DMV and this person calls me up and said, Joe, uh, you made it. You're going to appear on television. We wanted to put you on in September, but we're going to hold you over for the winter taping. The producers love it. They want your stuff. They want to put you on television. And I said, that's great, man. And he goes, no, Joe, you don't understand. He goes, out of 35,000 people, you're the only phone call I'm making. I said, no, you don't understand. I think it's great. I'm sitting in the DMV. <laughs> you know, <laughs> He couldn't figure out why I wasn't jumping up and down and shit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't understand. I'm in the DMV, brother. <laughs> Now's not a good time for me to celebrate. Right, so right. That happened. And then uh, in January, I received an email and asked me if I was ready to go, ready to appear. And I said yes. And I never heard back from him. So, uh, yeah, but then you got, hold on. <laughs> you got to understand it's Hollywood. 
everything it's all hollywood so all tv shows there's nobody there trying to help you get rich you're helping them put eyeballs in front of a television you're working for them they did tell me do not ask for any appearance money they said your five minutes is worth about 25 million bucks they did tell me that to my face yeah so people actually ask for money to like be on the show well yeah technically you're supposed to get paid when you appear on television Ah. union rule so it's about like 14 1500 bucks but they tell you right there you're not going to get paid because you're going to get this free advertisement for your company. So right. what happened after that, I never got a uh, call back on that one. And then, so I went down and I actually did a, a personal appearance uh, uh, audition down in San Diego. So I went down to that one and everybody, I recognized the name. So I got to talk to the people and everything. And uh, they send you into a, a little workshop before you go do your thing. And they straight tell you, it doesn't matter if we don't call you, if we do call you, don't put all your eggs in the shark tank basket because that's not what's going to make your company happen. So right. after I did that, um, nothing came of it. And I'll be honest, I got burned out on it. I, I used to watch that show, but it made it hard to watch because it was just like, well, yeah, man, you're getting fucking bent over, dude. Like how you you keep saying it. <laughs> you're going after it too aggressive. It wasn't like that. I, 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 I live in, in Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, dude. To me, that's the way I would feel, man. Like, fucking, I'd be like, yeah, no. I'm all excited. Tell me I should be jumping around, fucking, you know, picking yeah. the stars out of the sky and shit like that. And now, now you like tell me you give me a date. I, I don't know. I'd be fucking amped, dude. Because Hold on. Hold and if you get on that show and you're you're freaking not like actually like 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 a shark doesn't go for it. I mean, that advertisement yeah. alone is like, man, that's a, that's a huge fucking audience. Yeah, and that Kevin dude, he does ride bikes too. So I was always wanted. I knew if I got it on his head, he would have been all over it. Oh, really? That dude's yeah. a dick too, man. <laughs> but he rides bikes, so whatever. So right? yeah. So what happens? Just, I mean, like that's his personality. I wasn't like nothing. No. Yeah, no, it's all good. That yeah, it's all the role he plays in that in that show, though. Yeah. It's definitely Hollywood for sure. So what happened is, uh, you know, I've met a lot of people since over the years. The last ten years, I've been doing this. They uh, that have made their products on Shark Tank and things, and there's a lot to be said about what you see on the on the television and what gets done in that back room. Um, right. That was the clean bottle, you know. Uh, Bill Walton went out there with this guy. We all remember him in the Tour de France. The clean bottle guy was running, chasing the Peloton and stuff. It was a big oh, water yeah. bottle guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, when he went on Shark Tank, they bought it, but it, when it went in the back, there was never a deal done for that. Yeah. Really. So, yeah, yeah. So like it, it could happen on the show where they're like, "Yeah, we're doing it," but then when they go to fucking put the pen down, it doesn't happen. Yeah, and percentages change. All that being said, though, I, the producer of that show, I found out just this last week that's probably where all these other television shows keep calling me because he sent me an email. He said, "Joe, I keep shopping your stuff around." He goes, "I'm now on another program. We're going to bring it out. Do you want to be on television and bring your product out there?" And so I said, yes, I get into more details about what the show's about, but I probably should keep my mouth shut because yeah, yeah. when I was on Shark Tank, they said, don't even put shit on Facebook. They said, you won't come on here. So that's why no one's ever knew. People always bring it up to me, but I just still try to keep everything on the down low because even Shark Tank said, even if we hold it for five years and we say, remember that guy, let's bring that guy on. So yeah. you know, I just try to, it's Hollywood, man. It's, it's different down here. Um, it's a, it's a cutthroat world and we just smile at those Hollywood people. And you know, if you yeah, make it yeah. on, you make it on. If you don't, I'm telling you, you know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I have no problem doing it just the way we're doing it as long as I can keep doing it. 
Yeah, I love doing it. I love people's faces when they put on Otis, uh, especially the ones who stand in the back at the booth and they want nothing to do with it, you know, and they get these attitudes sometimes. Nah, that's cool. Dude. Nah, nah, leave me alone. Okay, but their friends put it on and their friends turn around and they mouth like this. What the fuck? You got to try this. Right. And I get to see that. <laughs> I get to see that. And then you see the dude who was being a tool about everything because, you know, or he's just too shy, put it on his head and watch his face light up with a big smile. Yeah. And that's right. what makes me happy. You know, it's that kind of, it makes it hard not to give them away because <laughs> it's right. just, you know, it's something I did. I created it. I invented it. And uh, it's my baby. So I, uh, but you still have money invested into it though. So, I mean, like yeah. we it, still put our money into it. it I mean, it's, it's fair to you to recoup, like, you know, get, get some benefit out of the time that you put into, into the product. You know? Yeah. My wife definitely tried. She's kept me under control this year a lot better than in the past. Cause I've, uh, I don't know how many I gave away uh, but uh, in the past, but I have given away a lot. Um, yeah. But, you know, Wrigley gave, never sold a stick of gum the first year. He gave away every piece, you know, until people got used to his chewing gum and said, this stuff's great. So Sometimes, man. I mean, yeah. it's funny how life works. You know, you, you definitely always have uh, – <laughs> there's no rhyme or reason into no. to how, how, how the fucking shit falls together. Nope. So what's, what's the plan for the future, man? What, what do you – is there anything are you like done designing or are you still no. kind of kicking around some ideas or oh yeah i have uh otis is is still not done um we're go gonna come out with an all-in-one unit um so there won't be the we'll still carry the the original um bluetooth combos because it, it, it's for a specific reason why um but the next prototypes there are a little more adjustabilities uh in, involved in the speakers so you'll be able to um use some more direction on that um, and also, uh, I want to put it all in one unit. Um, so it's, it's uh, waterproof and you have the ability not to have this, but that one is going to cost substantially more because there's a lot more technology that's involved in it, but it will still have, um, the same aspects of the Otis that we have now. I'm trying to tell you about something without giving too much of it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't mean to do that to you because it's, it's, I love to talk about it. But, um, no, I mean, but at the end of the day, dude, you, you, it's, this is your your intellectual property, man. So, yeah. uh, well, like, you, feel free if I ask you something and to be able to say, like, dude, no, I, I can't do that right now. That, that will, that'll make me look like a dick. No, I know. Dude, people understand that, man. People yeah. It's just there's there's some really great things. And then I have I, I do have other products that are uh, developed that are just waiting to be produced. Um, and they'll probably fall under a different umbrella because um, I have a uh, some people looking at us right now that I need to uh, entertain yeah. them. And if, when, if that actually happens, then uh, uh, Otis will probably be seen in a lot more places. Um, right so yeah. are you thinking about doing like other audio stuff as well? Like, you know, yes. So, so that'd be, that'd be interesting. And to, to yeah, I also that. have a way to, uh, keep the body cool in the summer and, and warm in the winter because it's the core of the body is what produces, uh, if it's overheated, your production's going to fail. If it's too cold production muscles won't fire as fast. So, um, so, so essentially you're, 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 you're basically, you're, you're an inventor, man. You're like an, yeah, yeah. I even have a way to body surf where you can ride the tube and no one's done that yet. So right on, man. Yeah. Check you out, dude. Is there anything else you want to throw out there about Otis before we wrap this up, dude? Yeah, just, uh, you know, just if I, I got a great warranty program on them. Uh, the internet says three months, but I've been known to 
somebody writes me a nice letter and say theirs has lasted six, eight years, uh, I send them a free set anyways just for being a loyal customer and let me know how much they love it. Military guys love my stuff um, because right. it's loud. They break the rules and they put them in their ear. But when you don't put it and when bombs are going off, you need something loud enough to hear. And uh, also SWAT, cops, they all love it too because it fits in their riot gear. And then they don't have the, uh, the what is that called, uh, when your equilibrium's off, uh, yeah. you know, uh, vertigo. Because the sound's only cut, one ear's plugged, you don't know exactly where all the sound's coming from. So that's another reason why they like it. They just put it right in, inside of their like, Kevlar if they're wearing something like that. Yep, and, yep. they do uh, it all the time. Yeah, so it's, it's crazy. I, I honestly, man, when I met you at Interbike, the, one of the main reasons that I wanted to be able to talk to you on the Biker Bar was that I could tell how passionate you are about the product that you're doing. And I think that that to me, like, that's awesome, you know, and, and yeah, hopefully you know, get a little bit of ex exposure out, out of the, the biker community. And um, I'm really grateful. Oh, uh, real quick before I go, I, I'll send you some code so you can get them out to your people and uh, we'll get you guys $10 off. And Oh, and, sweet. Nice. Yeah. So and then so I'll add that into the uh, show more of the of the uh, the the live stream, and I can put it on the podcast information as well. Yeah. Once we, yeah. Once we get that all wrapped up, dude, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day Thank to you. uh, come, come sit down with me, talk about your product. What an interesting uh, uh, story of how how the company is coming about. I'm I'm excited to see you on uh, national television one of these days. Thank and, you. Hopefully we've been bumping into you in some some stores or something like that. Yeah. Uh, everyone out there, I want you all to know or to remember that it only takes a bike to be a biker. So get the fuck out and be one, bitches. <laughs> <laughs>